Hi, I'm Don Patterson, and I'm here with three-time USA Olympic coach Terry Laskevich. You're listening to The Front Row, presented by The Art of Coaching Volleyball. Our topic on the table today, would women's college volleyball be better with just eight substitutions rather than 15? Our guest today, Mick Haley, says eight substitutions is just the right number. Mick is currently the head coach of the USC women's volleyball team. He's won three NCAA championships, two at USC, and one at the University of Texas. Mick was also the head coach of the USA women's national team from 1997 to 2000. Mick, thanks for joining us today on the front row. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I ever played in the front row, but uh, it's good to be on the show. <laughs> no, but Mick, I could attest for that because you did play the front row because I played with you sometimes. So, <laughs> Correct, correct. I just don't uh, feel like I blocked too many balls. Well, let's jump into our topic here. Uh, Mick, your opinion has been for a long time that uh, women's volleyball in general would be better with just eight substitutions. And, and to clarify that, currently there are 15 substitutions in the college women's game and just six internationally. So what you're advocating is to go down from 15 to eight for the college game and to go up to eight from six the international game. And, and why don't we talk about the college game first? Tell, tell us why you think the college game would be better with just eight substitutions. Well, I think I think we're at a point uh, in the college game where the game is really good right now to watch. And what's happening is we're going to plateau here uh, as a sport. And you've got to always kind of be thinking on where the sport could go and what would make it go to a higher level. And my thought is, uh, right now, volleyball's taken over um, women's sports in this country. Uh, almost every young girl wants to play either on her high school team or on a club team or some kind of team, no matter what other sport she's participating in. And there are a lot of, uh, lot of kids that are just gravitating to doing nothing but playing volleyball. Uh, we've opened up the, this uh floodgate of small kids who become DS's or liberos uh, at a very young age and they play in the back row and they sub in and out for tall, taller, more athletic people usually uh, and they improve at some level the ball handling skills but uh, pretty soon they plateau also and the game doesn't get any better. And so if you can follow my thinking here, I'm thinking, how does the game really get to be at another level? And I've had, a, I've had three uh, Honda Award winners in April Ross, Alex Jupiter, and Samantha Bricio played for me over the, the last uh, 16 years here at USC. And each one of them has brought something new to the game. All three played all the way around. All three were over six foot two. And all three were elite athletes. And I'm saying to myself, if you had six of those athletes out on the court at one time, what would the game really look like? And so to get those athletes out there, you, you have to appeal to the most elite physical specimens. And, and some of those kids are still playing basketball uh, because they get to touch the ball. They get to go coast to coast, and they get to play uh, pretty much uh, – a lot of minutes in a basketball game and if, if we if we were able to get those athletes into our game 
they would come right now. All Everybody's interested in trying to play volleyball at the highest level. But they want to play. They don't want to play three rotations and come out three rotations. So uh, that's my thinking. By going to eight subs, we have to become better teachers of passing the ball. And we would have these elite athletes available not only to play six rotations, but to hit out of the back row and do some uh, amazing other things with their elite physicalness. Mick, and I, I really want to underscore, I agree with what, what you've said, because in recruiting in the last, when I was at Oregon State, in the last 10 years, looking at some really great middle blockers that are taking out in the back row, they either want to switch to be an outside hitter because they know that they may have a chance at least to play all the way around, or as you, as we've discussed, they quit the game because they're not playing enough. So I like that to be able to get that big athlete that could be taught how to pass, play defense. How do you get them to play all the way around? And and the substitution number has a lot to say about that. So and I, I think um, just uh, piggybacking on what you said, Mick, uh, you said you think a lot of these elite athletes are going to choose to be full-time basketball players rather than part-time volleyball players if, if they only are going to be able to play three rotations. And, and many of them with 15 substitutions will just play three rotations because the particularly at the college level the coaches aren't going to be able to bring them to a ball control standard that would allow them to play all the way around the the problem for the college coaches is this like i won a national championship at texas with one of those elite athletes quandolin harrell and honestly quandolin could not overhand the ball uh she could not really pass the ball, but she could jump and hit it, and she could block it like you've never seen. I think she ran a 55-400. Uh, she uh, long jumped 22 feet. She, she was an amazing athlete that wanted to play volleyball. And I brought her in the left front, and we, uh, in the national championship that we won in Minnesota, we beat UCLA 3-0 in the semifinals, and they were 36-0 and at the time, I believe. And then we beat Hawaii, uh, who was 35-1 and in the finals. And it was T. Williams versus Quandlin. Uh T had 30-some kills, but we won the match 3-0, and Quandlin was one of those elite athletes that basically broke down after that, and, and we couldn't get her healthy again for the next two years so she could continue her career. But I believe if she had been allowed to play volleyball when she was 12, 13, 14 years old and play all the way around, that those kinds of athletes would be like the hookers and the, the very elite people that were the Flo Heinemans, the very elite people we've seen uh, play uh, on teams uh, from time to time. They would be there every year. Um, I think it's hard for the collegiate coaches to buy into eight subs because it would change how they are playing right now, and change is always difficult. Coaches do not vote for change. So because this is, this is a discussion, I think, for people that are thinking beyond next fall and beyond their next season. This is a discussion on how to take our game to the highest level possible and be the number one women's sport ever in this country let's talk a little bit about uh i think the the main argument that i've heard against this for eight substitutions in college women's volleyball is 
you would legislate out the five two, five three, five four defensive specialist that has a role in the game now. Uh, there would be the libero, and so that would be one target for for a kid that size who who can pass and and dig. But many of the uh, players who have a DS role would would not have an opportunity. Uh, I talked to a coach yesterday who would be concerned about that. So from a participation standpoint, yes, you might get more of the elite athletes, but you'd be taking away maybe some of the smaller athletes. Is that a concern, Mick? Uh, it's not a concern for me because I don't really feel like those athletes have a place down the road. That there are, I mean, we must get 90% of our emails per month come from undersized kids who want to be the libero, which we have one position, and maybe two. Uh, if you look at what makes a great libero, really think about the liberos we've had here at USC from, from the start. Nicole Davis, she was an undersized left side hitter, uh, won a national championship in the 16 and unders uh, in a, for the Northern California club. Um, Deborah Sealhammer, a left side hitter from Puerto Rico, undersized, who uh, who participated uh, in the uh, JOs for Puerto Rico, and I think finished second or or third as a left side hitter. Natalie Haglin, who won a national championship as a left side hitter, undersized left side player for Wave out of Southern California. Um, uh, Allie Hilgren is the only libero we've had here that's just been a libero that's not been a undersized left-side attacker. Uh, I, I think the uh, Don Shandell, my former coach, really is against this proposal because he, he really likes seeing the small athlete have a chance. But really, I think we're creating a disservice because we get all of these kids build up to to come and play, and there may be 400 spots, maybe 350 spots available at the collegiate level for a libero, and there's, you know, 400,000 of them. Uh, they just get left out eventually, and maybe they would have done better in soccer or another sport. See, uh, see I, concur, I concur with that, Mick. I, I, I think when you and I played the game, and again, uh, different era, but it was more of the universal player playing all the way around. The libero rule that we discussed in our previous podcasts, I think uh, changed the game because people would say, hey, it's going to give an opportunity for smaller people to play. But like Mick says, I totally agree. The best liberos are people that are maybe a bit undersized, outside hitter that can do everything. But at the collegiate level on the national team, they become the libero. I think these kids that are five foot two, five foot three, five foot four should play soccer. Because I think it's a game that doesn't discriminate that much on height as compared to volleyball. And I also feel that even mixed proposal that I agree with, let the kids play all the way around, the libero is still gonna be taking two spots from those kids, from the big kids. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is, as we said that the NCAA wanted 15 subs to give more people a chance to play, we should have, um, hey, having a scholarship for a libero would have given more kids an opportunity to play. You know, like if we would have gotten to 13 scholarships instead of 12. And I think um, 
in my mind, it, it's a great proposal by Mick, and I think it'd be interesting to see what the international community would say about going to eight from six. Well, you know, we'll, that's a we'll, question. We'll talk about that next. Uh, it wasn't very long ago, Mick, that you were on the rules committee, and, and uh, for one year, I believe, it went from 15 to 12 in the college game and then immediately back up to 15 when they reversed it. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct, and I, and I worked basically three years to try to educate uh, the committee members, of which we had two Division three, I believe, two Division two and two Division one members, and maybe uh, one from another. I, I think that's probably the makeup of the committee, about six of us. Uh, and I understood Division three wanted the subs for a different reason. They really are tasked with trying to get rosters of 20 to 22 or 23 people. Those, those kinds of numbers calibrate well for income for their universities with state aid and those kinds of things. So the rules that they want to play with are rules that allow them to get 14 or 15 players into a game on a regular basis to meet their needs and still be able to carry those numbers. And it's totally contradictory for Division One, and Division Two kind of sweeps back and forth, I believe, uh, in some cases with that. So the NCAA's position to have one set of rules for everybody is is really difficult for everybody. But I got them to understand and and really to understand how the rules for rally score were developed and how they came about. And at the end of the day, they all voted to support the 12 substitutions because they thought it made it a better game. And they understood the reason for the original uh, thought of that. And, and they were willing to even think about eight, but it wouldn't, I mean, Division Three would have to vote against that just because of the, their task to bring so many players into their program. Um, so once we did that, College coaches immediately jumped on the next committee uh, head, and uh, what the NC2A doesn't do is they don't really educate the people they bring into the committee on where they've been, why they've done things, and what the task is. And I don't believe um, the rules committee should be a popularity contest, and I don't believe it should be made up really of just active coaches because you know coaches are going to legislate what allows them to be successful in the immediate in the immediate moment and i don't i don't blame them for that they're getting paid to to try to win and that's what they're trying to do but there's got to be a group that thinks about the game and when you think about the game the international people are thinking about raising the number of subs to eight and we should be thinking about reducing the number of subs to get the most elite athletes into the game playing most of the time. Um, I, I really am against uh, having defensive specialists or liberos even at the young development age because I think our big kids should be out there all the time. Our kids should play all six rotations as much as possible. And we we continue to double our, our population of players. I mean... There are more teams develop every year. Uh, it, it's amazing to go to these tournaments. On any given weekend, there can be up to almost 10,000 teams playing across the United States at various locations. I mean, you think about that. 
that that's tremendous. No other women's sport in this country has anything going on like that. Well, let's look at the international game. Going from six to eight would allow some flexibility strategically for coaches to do a little bit more. What do you think the biggest impact would be of going up to eight for national team level volleyball? Well, I think you could use uh, you could use specialists a little bit more, like a, a serving specialist or a hitting specialist. You could bring somebody back into the game. In international play, for instance, and Karch did this uh, with the USA team. Uh, he would play a double sub at around 12 to 13 points. He would come with a double sub, a new setter, and another right side hitter. And he would try to to separate from the opponents by showing them a, a different, so to speak, batting order in the middle of the game. Um, then he would use a serving specialist who would go in and come out. And so he would use up four subs with the double sub uh, when he comes back in with his starting opposite and setter. That would be two in, two out, that's four. And then the serving specialist would be five and six. But you'd like to you'd like to think about maybe coming back later in the game with that double sub again, and maybe letting them stay in the game, or thinking about some other ways to utilize left side attackers, um, or you get to a point scoring situation where you need first ball kills and the three rotations in the front row, and you're going to gamble a little bit. It puts so much more uh, opportunity in the game for some coaching. Uh, I just like the idea, though, of the eight subs being uh, a limitation so that coaches have to develop the taller players better. There are middle blockers that don't play in the back row that are good in the back row. They can, they can do a number of things. They can uh, pass, they can hit out of the back row, and they don't get a chance to do that um, because uh, of the rules and the subs. and. Uh, they, they would feel much more part of the game if they could stay into the game and, I believe, be able to contribute. I'm kind of amazed that when we, uh, in the spring, we have uh, a situation where we only have one middle blocker. So she plays all the way around sometimes, uh, and she gets real good in the back row, and she can do things that we didn't think she could do. She digs, she runs off the court, makes great plays, she hits out of the back row, and she serves a ton. And, and right now, the way the rules are, we don't really give those people any kind of an opportunity to develop. It's not that they they can do it right away, but, but opportunities to develop, sometimes they get really good. So, Terry, will the club and high school coaches then buy into that and develop uh, develop a bigger player in the back row, or, or is there a, a conflict there with what they're trying to do again, which is win volleyball matches? Well, but uh, but I think uh, you know Mick and I have often had this discussion. I think sometimes the tail wags the dog, meaning why should they dictate what we do? We are there to have a great showcase for volleyball at the collegiate level, on television and in other places, and they would then adjust. If we push that, I think the junior community would would adjust because they certainly are attracting people to their club by saying that they're going to be playing in college. And I think that that's what I think needs to be done is to really, really lobby to see if we can get to an eight substitution pattern. And I totally concur with Mick that it's a good idea. Mick, could you get us get support from the juniors coaches, do you think? Well, maybe, but here's what's happening. 
we can't find metal blockers anymore. Their parents have paid attention. They film every set that they play. And they all demand that the junior club coaches move them to outside hitters. Terry alluded to this before. Um, you can't find middle blockers anywhere anymore because they feel like that's a limitating position. Even though with 15 subs, the college coaches are taking them out, even though they're hitting left side, they're taking them out in the back row anyway. Um, so I think maybe the junior community might lean towards that, but anything that limits numbers for them, they will be against because they're into having as many people sign up for their club as they can possibly get. And then they, they try to manage that. That's kind of the model across the country. So I'm not sure you're going to get anybody to support this kind of an idea unless it's mandated from the top down. And, and I talked with you a little bit yesterday about the basketball. If the basketball committee had not mandated the three-point shot and had left it open for the coaches to vote on it, we would not have a three-point shot today. People are resistant to change often, but five years after the change, a lot of people will come back and say, we're glad that happened. The last word on this, Mick, is, is, is that the case here, where a lot of people who are hesitant to, to go to this type of a, a change would, would look, will look at it in five years and say, that's one of the best things we've ever done? I was on the Rules Committee twice. Uh, the first time, I was the key vote that changed us to going to rally score in the fifth set. And uh, every time I was at the University of Texas at that time, and every time I lost the fifth set on rally score, Dave Soji called me and asked me, how do I like rally score now? <laughs> <laughs> and he did that for about five years. <laughs> about five years. And then I didn't get any more calls. So I think you're about right. Yeah, it's about five years before the coaches get comfortable with something and decide it's going to stay here so we have to deal with it we'll wrap it up with that mick thanks so much for joining us uh on the front row and we'll see you next time thanks mick all right terry thank you